0: First Peter tells us that now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine, genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart, you have been born anew, not of imperishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. First Peter, a letter of joy from our, the joy of our living hope in our resurrected Lord is taking a shift this Sunday. Last week we considered the joy of the letter, the joy that is found in the resurrection. And that joy permeates every nook and cranny of our lives, causing our Easter celebration to continue far beyond the life of the potted lilies and tulips that decorated our worship spaces on Easter Sunday. The joy of the Lord is ours as we live with the new hope that the world's ways will wilt away, just as our Easter flowers have. Joy, our joy in the resurrection is the emotional response to the living hope that each of us has as a result of Christ's resurrection. But today, our epistle takes a turn toward the implications of the joy-filled new life that we have. Love one another deeply from the heart. Love. Sounds pretty straightforward and and fairly easy to do because we've been formed out of love for familial love, and God has given us new birth. You, we, are to love one another. Love is all around in your fingers, in your toes as the hit fictional recording artist Billy Mack tells us in the best Christmas movie ever, Love Actually. Love the person next to you in the pew. Love the person that has not responded to that text message, even though underneath the message it says that they read it two days ago. Love your spouse, love your partner. Love your children. Love your best friend. Love the male person who delivered that Amazon package yesterday in the rain. Love your Uber driver. Love the stranger on the street. And most importantly, love that pastor who just absolutely grinds your gears. Love the person that you tell yourself you will never be able to love. Love the person that others tell you is not worthy of your time, let alone your love. Love the people that you say you hate. Take seriously Christ's command to love our neighbors as ourselves and truly love yourself. Love, plain and simple, yet a seemingly impossible task. We close most worship services declaring that the love of God, our creator, is yours. I'll stand here in the front of the sanctuary. I'll put my hands in the air and say something like, go forth with the love of God, our creator. The declaration to go, leave this place, knowing that God, the one who ordered and created the cosmos, that that God loves you. But that statement can feel as though it's a, like it's a period at the end of a worship service. Still, the truth is, because we have been formed into a new living hope, this love, the love of God, the God that has created you and ordered all of creation, that is the starting point for how we are to engage the world that we've been sent into after the last words are spoken and the final notes of the postlude are played. Go forth from this place to love because of love. According to 1 Peter, the church's task is to be a community that has been transformed by the overwhelming and amazing love of God for the sake of loving the world. Go and love. Not go and be do gooders doing good things for people in need. Go and love. Not go and make the world a better place. Christian ethicist Stanley Hauerwas writes, the task of the church is not to make the world a better place. I'm going to say that again. The task of the church today, our task is not to make the world a better place. The task of the church is to be the church, to be a community that loves one another as Christ loves each of us. And when we love one another in this way, the world cannot help but be transformed published over a decade ago by then pastor and author rob bell who is now one of oprah's best friends the book love Wins* attempted to answer the question would a loving god send people to eternal torment forever would god the same god who created the and ordered the cosmos the same god who knitted you in your mother's womb the same God who sent Christ to break open the gates of hell, would that God send people to eternal torment and a fiery furnace forever? Is there a limit to God's love? And you can imagine the response to such a book. On one side, you would have affirmation for an evangelical pastor willing to speak beyond the hurtful narrative, the narrative that says that there's somehow a limit to God's love. But then on the the other side of the conversation, there would be condemnation because for some, God's love certainly does have limits, limits of certain sins. What's always bugged me about the condemnation for that book is that to say that there's a limit on God's love then places the limits on how we love one another. If God does not love us, or does not love those who commit certain sins, all the while being okay with other sins to be committed, how can we expect to love one another? How can we expect our kids to love their friends, to love their their friends who push them down on the playground? How can I expect you to love one another as your pastor? How can any of us expect to be able to love one another if there's somehow a limit on the amount of love that God holds for each of us? Over the past five and a half plus years, I have officiated weddings and funerals here in the sanctuary, in backyards and in funeral homes, though I've yet to do a wedding in a funeral home. So if you're thinking of getting married, Nathan, I wouldn't mind doing a wedding in a funeral home. Actually, I would. But anyways... Paul's timeless words to the church in Corinth, you know it as 1 Corinthians 13, for weddings and funerals, it's the most requested scriptural text that I've done in my ministry here at Mount Olivet. You all know how it goes. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own ways, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rather rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. The idea of choosing this particular text for a wedding or a funeral is that the text points to the, in theory, the text points to the couple or the person being celebrated as the exemplar of love. After all, on wedding days especially, hearing what love is and then being told by Jesus that we are to love our enemies is excellent advice for any couple, especially newlyweds. But the love described by St. Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth is the love of Jesus Christ. It is this love, the love of God that called each of us into existence And it's not that we're supposed to be able to have this kind of love for others, for ourselves, or our enemies, but rather that God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongdoing. God bears all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things, all the way to the point of death on the cross. What I point out to couples or a family who insists on using this text against their better judgment is that what, it's what First Peter makes clear to us today. The only reason, the absolute only reason that we can love one another is because the power of death could not stomp out the love we have from God and the love of God. If I were to rename that book written by Rob Bell, it would not be that love wins, it would be the love of God wins because where our love fails, God's love remains steadfast the love of God has won therefore go and love one another period unconditionally period you don't have to like the person sitting next to you this morning you might even loathe them you might give them the bird as you're pulling out of the church parking lot later today But the transformation that's happening inside of each of us right now is because of the new life given to us in Jesus Christ. And that new life compels us to love one another at the very least. And the love that we show one another is not for the sake of being do-gooders in our community or that we might make the world a bit brighter for someone having a bad day or someone dealing with a calamity. No, we love one another because we are loved, and that's it. And when we look, when we love, we look upon those around us that we've yet to meet with love as the starting point, Dr. Wass affirms this, that we are transformed, and in our transformation, the world is transformed. Friends, God has been in the business of loving you. Loving all of creation since the wind from God swept across the dark waters in the beginning of Genesis and there was light. The love of God is not simply a, a passive feeling, but an active force that transforms and renews both us and the world around us. Robert Capon makes the point that the love of God is not an emotion. It's an active force that is working within each of us working to make each of us just that, more loving. And by making us more loving, that makes us more human, more like Christ. It's not a sentimental feeling of warmth and comfort, but the power of God, our Creator, constantly renewing the life of the world and calling us to be part of that renewal. The living hope we hold because of the empty tomb because of the Easter celebration, is grounded in God's unwavering love. So, love one another deeply from the heart. Because after all, all you need is love. Amen.